Today we come to conclusion of our study of the book of Colossians, so I invite you to go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 4, where we'll be studying from. Now the verses we study today, I'll be quite frank with you, I was uh, tempted to skip. You ever sort of get to that, that last part of a book and think, well, this, this is like the closing credits at a movie. How many of you stay for the closing credits at a movie? Raise your hand. Okay, you're weird people, all right? Okay, um, most of us don't want to just stay and see 278 names of people we don't know. Now, let me tell you when I will stay for the closing credits. You ever go to a movie where it's actually a true movie, and during the closing credits, they show pictures of the real people that the Hollywood stars had depicted? I sort of like to stay for that. And when we get to Colossians chapter 4, what might look like just some closing credits, I think if you'll look a little bit closer... What Paul does is he makes them stop and pose all of his friends for a group picture. It's it's a great group picture of the people who surrounded Paul in his imprisonment. And I'm telling you, as we study today, I think you'll be glad that we didn't skip this section because we're going to see some of the people that were great friends to Paul. So let's look this morning at Paul's friends. And we'll start with Tychicus, all right? That's in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Now this guy's an interesting character. We see him a lot with Paul. Paul actually met him in Ephesus. You remember when Paul went to Ephesus, the book of Acts, there's a big riot that comes on about his teaching, and Paul is arrested. Well, Tychicus is arrested with him. And that begins a long adventure and story between the Apostle Paul and Tychicus. It's a lifetime journey. In fact, when Paul Paul begins to go and to collect this collection, this love offering, to take back to Jerusalem, the Jewish saints are in trouble. He thinks he will unify the church by going among the Gentiles and taking up money to support them. He takes Tychicus with him. And they they go to Jerusalem, and then later we see them both arrested, and and we see Tychicus actually follow Paul in his imprisonment all the way to Rome. And as you watch this, here's a guy that was just willing to do whatever Paul needed him to do. If they needed to take the love offering to Jerusalem, he'd do that. If he needed to send this message here back to the church at Colossians, Tychicus is the first guy to raise his hand. In fact, he begins to be very, very indispensable for the Apostle Paul. There's a couple times where Paul needs someone to come to him, but he's taking them away from a church like Titus. And so he says, I'm sending Tychicus to take Titus's place so he can come see me. And then later, another minister, he wants Timothy, he loves dearly. Timothy's in Ephesus. Not he's want to see Timothy, but the Bible says... Paul had forgotten his coat. Does that make you feel better about being a Christian? All right. He had forgotten his coat. I'm I'm glad to hear that. And so he he wants Timothy to come and bring his coat and spend some time with him. Guess who he sends? Tychicus. He's this indispensable friend to Paul that basically says to Paul, I'll be whatever you need me to be. I'm just here to serve. If I need to deliver a message, if I need to go, you know, do some interim preaching for a preacher so they can come see you, I'll just do it. We all need those kind of friends. He's a friend with a loyal heart. 
He's got an incredible loyal heart. Don't you love to have that person around? Maybe you're sick and it's the person that comes over to your house and said, just tell me what to do. I'll do anything you need me to do. You mean to wash the dishes, cut the grass? I mean, in fact, some of these friends, they do it before you ask, right? Years ago when I was youth minister here, I lived in an apartment. I mentioned last week over in Eastdale Apartments, and I had the youth group over one night, and uh, all the kids were having a big time. And then I went back to my restroom, my bathroom, and there was sweet Martha Jackson cleaning my toilets. And I said, Martha, stop. She says, I'm not going to stop. I said, well, if you don't stop, Martha, I'm going to tell the church about what you're doing. And she said to me, if you tell the church what I'm going to do, I'm telling, you how, I'm telling them how nasty it was. <laughs> I mean, here's a, here's, here's, here's a Tychicus who just sees a need, you know, and goes, you know what? I'm going to go clean their toilet. And with the Apostle Paul, he's that kind of character. Paul, I'm anything you need me to be. And Paul says, you know what? I love the words here. You are a dear friend. Can you imagine what that would mean to have that said about you from the Apostle Paul? You're just a really dear friend. In fact, listen to the next verse. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your heart. That's the kind of guy Tychicus was. Now let's, let's meet another character here. Onesimus. Wow, listen about this. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Now, Onesimus, if you're taking notes, write this down. He is Paul's friend with a sinful past. You remember who Onesimus is? There's a whole book in the Bible about him. It's called Philemon. Philemon was a pillar at the church at Colossae. He was a really strong member. And Onesimus had been one of his slaves. He obviously was a wealthy man. Onesimus runs away. He's a runaway slave. And he makes it a long ways, all the way to Rome. And this is so God. Guess who Onesimus runs into in Rome? The Apostle Paul. I mean, there are two million people in this day in Rome, the area of Rome. And he runs into Paul. And Paul takes him and teaches him about Jesus and sends him home with this book we call Philemon, saying, you know, when he gets home, Philemon, please don't kill him. <laughs> because a runaway slave was to be executed. And so Paul writes this letter saying, you know, I'm sending him back. Don't kill him, please. I, mean, I, know, I know he left you a slave, but I'm telling you, he's coming back to you as a brother. In fact, in the book of Philemon, when Paul's talking about Onesimus, he says, I love this line. Onesimus is my heart. Don't kill this guy. And, and he, he, he stays. He, he, Philemon doesn't kill him. He's accepted in the church as a brother. And, and he radically changed. In this book, he calls him a faithful and dear brother. Now, this is a man with a past. Don't you love that about God? That God accepts people with terrible past. I love 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul says, list all these sins, adultery and homosexuality and thievery and all. And then he says, that's what you once were. You've been justified. You've been sanctified. You've been washed in the blood of Jesus. And that's the kind of guy Onesimus was. He was a man with a past. Let me ask you this question. You think Paul could relate to him? Of course, because Paul is a man with a past. He's murdered Christians. 
And so when he meets this runaway slave, he's not going to mark him off. No problem for Paul to forgive him. No problem for Paul to write a letter and say, take care of this guy. It's an amazing story. In fact, there's a, a writing of Ignatius, who's an a, a early church father, a little bit past biblical times, who's writing about the church at Colossae, and there's a very fascinating line. He says, say hello to Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love, and your minister. Isn't that crazy? The runaway slave has become the minister of the church at Colossae. That's incredible. God gives second chances, doesn't he? Thank God I need them, right? How about you? Well, let's look at this next character. Here's a hard name. Aristarchus. Aristarchus. Here's the line about Aristarchus. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you greetings, all right? This is one of those guys who also is arrested with Paul, and he goes all the way to Rome with Paul. Now, Paul describes him as a fellow prisoner. That, that word literally means one caught with a spear. What, what it's saying is, in this spiritual warfare, Aristarchus is a war criminal. He's a, follow, he's a fellow criminal with me. Now, here's what we can see, at least read between the lines. Aristarchus, in the long run, chooses to stay with Paul through his imprisonments. He becomes a voluntary prisoner with Paul. And that's why I say here, he's the friend who bore burdens. He made a voluntary choice to go, Paul, you're in prison, I'm there with you. I don't know exactly what I can do, I don't know exactly what I can say, but I do know I can be with you. We talk often about fair weather friends. Aristarchus is a bad weather friend. He's the person who says, I'm telling you what, I know things are tough. I may not have all the answers, but I'll come sit with you. You had a friend like that? Worst year of our life. We were in Tuscaloosa. We were struggling in lots and lots of ways. And we had these couple friends, Wayne and Kelly Walton, and they knew we were having a hard time. They would come to our house every night at 10 o'clock and just sit and watch the news with us. Just sit and watch the news. That's Aristarchus. He's the friend who's there to bear the burden simply by his presence. And look at the next guy. Oh, this is, this is a great story. How about Mark? He says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Paul feels like he's got to say a little bit extra about Mark because Mark is a friend that he had to give a second chance. This, this is a pretty, pretty wild story. It shows you how real the people in the Bible are. You know, Paul and Barnabas are buddies. For those of us old enough, they're like Huntley and Brinkley. They're like Cisco and Ebert. They're like Regis and Kelly. Okay? I mean, they, they, they just belong together, Paul and Barnabas. And they take a lot of missionary journeys together. And on one of those journeys, Barnabas wanted to take his cousin, that's the dude here, Mark. And they go. And in the middle of the journey, when they get in a mountainous, dangerous area, Mark jumps you up. He bells on him. 
Listen to me. Apostle Paul was royally ticked off. In fact, they're about to go on another journey later. And Barnabas says, hey, let's take Mark with us again. And uh, Paul looks at him and says, you've got to be kidding me. That, that guy has got a yellow streak up his back as wide as the interstate. We're not about to take him with us. And you know what happened there? Paul and Barnabas got in a terrible fight about Mark. And it was so heated that Paul and Barnabas, this one-two team, split up. And so Paul's had a big problem with Mark. I mean, he's been a failure, and Paul thinks, we're not taking him along. He'll bail out on us again. But it's very fascinating to read the epistles because something begins to change. In the book of Philemon, he says he's his fellow worker. In this book, he says, treat him right. And then by the time we get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, would you please bring Mark to me because he is profitable to my ministry. There's been a restoration between Paul and Mark somewhere along the line. You ever been in the middle of a restoration? Maybe what we call a reconciliation? How many TV shows of these live shows get their their ratings by reconciling somebody who hadn't seen each other in 30 years, who had a bad falling out? Got to be in a meeting, a church meeting the other day where I saw two brothers who had really been having it out with each other hug and reconcile. And not only did they have tears, but everybody in the room had tears. What happens with Mark? It seems Mark connects with another failure, the Apostle Peter. Isn't that cool? If anybody understands what it's like to bail on somebody, it's Peter. And he connects with Mark. And when you read the Gospel of Mark, most of us understand that the Gospel of Mark is the memoirs of the Apostle Peter, who he dictates to Mark. And so maybe Paul's all ticked off at him and doesn't want anything to do with him at this point. But Peter understands what it's like to fail and fail bad. And Peter re-brings him into the fellowship. And eventually, this cool thing happens is that him and Paul are reconciled. And here's the lesson I want you to see here, guys. Failure is not fatal. Even a failure in your friendship is not fatal. That's the cool thing about the God we serve. It's the power of reconciliation. Of someone you think you may never could reconcile with. But because God's reconciled with you and been so good to you, somehow you find a way to do that. Well, let's look at another guy. His name is Justice. Actually, his name is Jesus, who is called Justice. Jesus was a real common name in that day. Same name as the Old Testament of Joshua. This guy is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Here's Justice. He's a friend with a soothing presence. Now, a couple things about him. Most of the Jews had forsaken Paul. You know, when things got tough, the church becomes more and more Gentile. Justice is one of those loyal people who sticks it out. And that means a lot to Paul. And he says, when I'm around justice, he has a, a, he's a comfort to me. That, that's a medical term there that means he lessens the pain. He soothes me. You ever had a friend 
who just being around that friend made you feel better. I mean, if you were having a down day, you knew if somehow you could eat lunch with this friend or go over to their house or, or just, just, just to be with them just sort of makes you feel better, makes you want to be a better person. I think that's the kind of friend justice was to Paul. Look, look at this next character. Ephaphras, all right? Ephaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ, Jesus, sends greetings. He, I love this one. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. This is the friend with a powerful prayer life. Isn't that a great term there? He's wrestling in prayer. We'd say in Alabama, he's wrestling in prayer. What does that mean? That's prayers. Prayer is not easy, is it? You ever, you ever try to get by yourself, pray for 30 minutes, and your mind goes in all kinds? I mean, it, it's a wrestling match. And here's a guy that's willing to do it. He, he's not willing to just go in there and pray the couple-minute prayer. I mean, he's willing to go in there and say, God, we're, we're going to wrestle about this thing, Lord. I mean, it really reminds me of the story in Genesis 25 of, of Jacob and God. Where, where the Bible says in this another crazy story that Jacob wrestles with God all night long. And finally, Jacob grabs God in the middle of this. And he says, God, I'm telling you what, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. You bless me and we'll stop this wrestling match. And God lets go of him, nudges his elbow out of place to make him know he's God and blesses him. Guys, don't you want a friend like that? That's what made me so excited about all of you standing up last week saying you were going to find a prayer partner. Did you do that? That if everybody in this church, if you had a person you were praying for, and our specific challenge last week was to pray for lost people, but if you had a friend that you would begin to wrestle in prayer with, someone that, that, that you know, even when you're not with them, you know what? They're praying for you. And nothing blesses my ministry more than those of you who say, I tell you, buddy, I'm praying for you every day. We, we need those kind of friends. Epaphras was that kind of friend. He wrestled in prayer. I love so many of you that are involved in our, our telecare ministry. And I want to say to our people in Birmingham, that's something that we need to, we need to start there. And that's a great ministry among us where, where every member is called by a prayer warrior in this church and prayed with. And so many of you volunteer for that. If you didn't know about that and you want to volunteer, come see uh, uh, the head of this, Ms. Glenda Beasley. And those of you in Birmingham, we need to find someone to head that up up there. Because there's something so powerful about someone who calls and says, what's going on? Could I pray for you? Can I pray for you right now? My friend, there's no more powerful ministry among us than prayer ministry. Amen? So we pray for each other. Let's go to the next character, Luke. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Now, let's, let's focus on Luke just for a moment. The beloved physician. And this is the way I put him. He's the friend who used his specialty. Here, here's a man who's been specially trained, professionally trained, and he uses it. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this reading the Bible, but the apostle Paul was not a very well man. You read about some of his missionary journeys. He, he struggled with his health. We find out he's got some kind of thorn in the side of his flesh that he's asked God to take away over and over, and God just keeps saying no. He, he's not a real well man. His sight's not real good. 
And guess what happens? Luke, the physician, decides to become Paul's personal physician. On Paul's second missionary journey, guess what? He takes Luke. Now, isn't this fascinating? Here's the Apostle Paul with the power to heal people, and yet he needed to travel with the physician. You know, some people are going to try to sell you a bill of goods that God's always going to say yes to your prayers. And that if you're sick and you pray with enough faith, you're going to absolutely get healed. Don't buy it. Even the apostle Paul prayed and he didn't get healed. So, you know, he leaned on, he leaned on a doctor. And Luke begins to be that person who uses his specialty. There's this incredible scene in 2 Timothy where, where Paul is writing Timothy and saying, please come see me. He says, the only guy still hanging out with me is Luke. Well, you got to love the beloved physician. you got to love Luke. Don't you love it when someone takes maybe what we call their secular specialty and uses it for the kingdom of God? Maybe they're an accountant or they're a teacher or they're a lawyer or they are uh, got computer skills like the rest of us don't have. And they take that and they say, let me know I can use it. And we've got people in this church with all of those skills who use it for the kingdom of God. What's sad is when, when we sort of divorce our professional skills from our skills in the kingdom. What's beautiful is we say, you know what, whatever skills I've got, if they could be used for God, let me use them. And that's what Luke was like. Well, we got one more character. Really, really wish we didn't have to talk about him. But that's, um, that's Demas. You saw that passage, verse 11. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas... Sin greetings. You say, well, buddy, why do you not want to talk about Demas? Because we only have three snapshots in the Bible of Demas. And it's a downward trajectory. And this, this snapshot here in Colossians is the middle snapshot, all right? The first snapshot back in Philemon, when, when Philemon's wrote about Onesimus, he says, Demas is my fellow worker. You notice here in Colossians, of all the people listed in chapter 4, there's a bunch of them, there is no descriptive affirmation of Demas. His name is just mentioned. And then, by the time you get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, Demas has deserted me. Demas, my fellow worker, Demas, the one who forsook me. And so that's the way I label him. He's the friend who forsook Paul. You know what you see there? You, you see a slow snapshot of a spiritual drift. That's one of the greatest ways that Satan can work in your and my life. The book of Hebrews warns us over and over about this, is that, that we just start drifting from God. You, you don't necessarily come to this one-time decision. It may lead you to that, but you start off strong. You stop feeding yourself spiritually. You, start, you stop hanging out with spiritual people. You stop being obedient to God. And there's this slow drift to finally get where Demas was. He said, Demas has rejected me because he loved this present world more than God. Boy, is that easy? How many of us are drifting? We started off so fired up for God. Later, just sort of lukewarm. 
And finally, the truth is, if you looked at my schedule and you looked at my checkbook and you looked at my day timer, I am more concerned about worldly things than I am about God. Now, can you imagine the hurt that this calls the Apostle Paul? You know, you got to see from this, friends, Paul is a relational fanatic. I mean, look, go ahead and look at verse 9 here, this next verse here. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, that's this, the passage from 2 Timothy, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Can you imagine the pain when, when, when Paul has to write that? I mean, here's a guy been a fellow worker with him who's now deserted the faith and deserted Paul. I don't know anything more painful than this. You know what I mean? You ever been rejected by a friend? Most of us have. Pretty painful, isn't it? I know as a minister, when you're rejected by someone you consider a friend, and not only do they reject you personally, but they reject everything you tried to teach them, that is doubly painful. I mean, you invested in them, you gave years to their life, and then one day they say, don't believe that anymore. I don't know anything in my ministry that's been more painful. And so, Paul endures that. Before we close out here, I just want you to notice a few things here. Just after, after looking at this group picture of the folks who hung out with Paul. First of all, notice the diversity of friendships. I mean, Paul surrounds himself with friends. And listen to me, guys. You need a diversity of friendship. There is no one person, not your mate, not your best friend, that can meet every one of your needs. You need a diversity of people around you. You need that person with the bad past. You need that person you've had to be reconciled with. You need the person that will just show up in the middle of the night to sit there with you. You need that person who's loyal through thick and thin. We all need a diversity of friends. Because listen to me, guys, at the end of life, what do you have? You've got your relationships, primarily your relationship with God and your relationships with people. So surround yourself with a diversity diversity of friends. Now, the second point I want you to notice is just the messiness of friendship. This is a mess. I mean, there's reconciliation, there's rejection, there's hurt involved here. And, you know, a, a lot of people see that. Some of you I'm talking to today, you've been hurt by a friend, or you've been hurt by a church, or you've been hurt by your mate. And here's the natural progression. I now come to a point, I go, I'm not getting close to anybody anymore. That hurt way too much. And so here's what you do, is you just cut off people in your life. And you you only, you let people get so far. And then your hand's up because you don't want to feel that kind of hurt again. Let me say this, guys. That is extremely understandable in, in one life because friends are messy. Now, you know what? They're messy because, because you know what? You're a mess. I'm a mess, all right? Turn to the person beside you right now and say, you're a mess. <laughs> now, now, now turn back to him and say, you are too. Now turn to me and say, buddy, you're a, you're a big mess. I'm a glorious big mess, all right? 
I mean, guys, we, we all are messes. And you get close enough to me, you're going to see a mess. And I get close enough to you, I'm going to see a mess. And I get in a life group with you, I'm going to see a mess. I tell you, the people are really, it, it scares me, is those who say, you know what, I don't get in a small group anymore because I had a bad experience. Sure, who hadn't? You ever been in a friendship, you've had some bad experiences? You ever had a bad experience at a restaurant? You stop eating? <laughs> My friends, here's, here's what I'm saying to you. Obviously not from what I can say. But I'm, 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 I'm saying, guys, that's just the, that's the price of friendship. You go, well, I only want to get in a group that's got my little friends in it. All. Listen to me, guys. That's not, the, the, the church is a diverse place. There are high-maintenance people among us. I may be one of them. But let me tell you, is, is that mess is okay. It's in that mess that God ministers. It's where we help people. Don't try to surround yourself with this perfect little group where you all, you have somebody in there that maybe gets on your nerves a little bit. That's going to rub you the right way if you use it for God. So guys, it, it's a mess sometimes. And, and guys, if, if you want to, if you, you don't want to be in a mess, well then just cut off friends. But here, here's the last point I want you to notice here. And that is the absolute necessity of friendships. Yes, it's painful. Yes, sometimes it hurts. But listen to me. The Apostle Paul could have never done what he did without this cast of characters. And we, here we are, you know, 2,000 years later, being blessed by what he wrote in prison, and we're getting the names of the people who made it possible, who took the letters, who doctored him, who encouraged him, who sat with him, who imprisoned with him. There would be no Apostle Paul without this group of people we're prone to skip. And let me say this to you and say this to me. You will never be everything you should be for God without some spiritual friendships in your life. Now, you might make it and you might make it through life, but you will never be who you need to be. You'll never accomplish what God wants you to accomplish. You'll never impact this world and your family the way you ought to impact them until you've surrounded yourself with some spiritual friends. Now, I know some of you have been hurt. I understand that. I've been there. But I'm telling you guys, a true, godly, spiritual friend is worth the risk. So let me ask you this morning, who's in your group picture? After today, you had to, to list the people who surround you. Do you have some spiritual friends? I'm not talking about just, but I'm talking about spiritual friends. I'm not talking men about something that's got to be weird and ooey-gooey. I'm just talking about some people you serve God together with. You talk about God. You're on a, you're on a mission with them. Do, do you have those kind of friends? A book a few years ago said, most men have enough acquaintances to find six pallbearers for their funeral, but most men don't really have two good friends. You need those friends. That's why we work so hard as a church in our small groups because we want everybody to be able to go to that kind of place and be able to make a spiritual friend. That person that would sit with you in the middle of the night. That person that would pray with you. I ask you, who's that group in your life? Let's look at the last verse of the book of Colossians. We'll close out. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. You probably recognize that Paul dictated his letters. 
His trademark end, though, was that he would sign his name. And so as he signs his name at the end of this book, obviously he's going to be a little encumbered by the soldier that's chained to him. And so while he signs it, he's reminded, and he reminds them, I want you to keep praying for me because I am in prison. And that was a trademark of Paul's. He always signed every letter with his own name. But his spiritual trademark was that last line, grace be with you. I want you to breathe in. I want to be lavished upon you, the undeserved gift, the unmerited favor of God. I want you to know that this is a whole grace system of God giving us His grace and us extending that grace to other people. That's the reason this thing works. That's His trademark. That's what He could never let go of. Because He could never get over the fact that God had been gracious in His life. So I ask you this morning, do you need some grace? Do you need a friend? Do you need a second chance? Do you need to be reconciled with someone sitting in this room today? Do you need a prayer warrior? Do you need forgiveness? Let me tell you guys, God will provide all those things to you. And one of the number one ways he provides them are through people. And so today, as we come to this time of ministry in our service, if you're that person that needs that grace, if you're lonely and you don't have a friend and you need to plop down here and say, I need somebody. Or you've been rejected by someone close in your life and you're just hurting like all get out this morning. And you're having a hard time getting past the divorce or the rejection of the friendship. And you want this church to surround you. If you want some prayer warriors to pray for you every day, then why don't you come? We've been studying since the first Sunday of January this book. Some of you, maybe you recognize through this study that Jesus is really not number one in your life. And today you want to you make a statement that he's number one. Maybe you want to confess him today. Maybe you want to rededicate your life to him. But I'm telling you guys, Colossians makes it plain. He's number one, and him being number one should dominate every area of your life, even your friendships. We're going to sing this song that we learned at the beginning of the service. Jesus, Son of God. As you sing that, my question to you is, does your life confess that? If not, man, let's get on the floor and do some war before God. And let's pray. For anybody in this place who needs prayer before we leave, let's stand together and sing. If you need to, please come.